Let me tell you what's about to happen. At the end of this sermon, you won't have been inspired to rush home and get stuck into some form of Christian living. Because this sermon is a bit of Bible background study that will inform your mind, perhaps throw some light onto a tricky passage of the Bible, and hopefully give some insights into how, how to read tricky parts of the Bible. You have been warned. Now, we read books of many and various genres. We read fiction and we read non-fiction. We read technical books and we read escapist books. We read romances and adventures, historical dramas. We read westerns. We read detective novels. We read science fiction. We read Mills and Boone. But nowhere do we read anything called apocalyptic a good word, apocalyptic. It means an unveiling, a revealing. When a politician comes and un unveils a foundation stone and takes the flag away, apocalyptic. The stone has been revealed. Now the gospel reading that we had just read by Jason from Mark chapter 13 verses 1 to 11 is what is called apocalyptic literature. It contains strange ideas, weird visions and unsettling prospects. Apocalyptic is a particular sort of Jewish literature. Mark chapter 13 is one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament for us modern Western readers to understand because Mark chapter 13 is one of the most Jewish chapters ever written in the Bible. From beginning to end, it is using terms of Jewish history and Jewish ideas. And all through it, Jesus is using terms and pictures that were very familiar to the Jews of his day. But to us in our day, these terms and pictures are really very strange indeed. And this chapter 13 is also the source of many ideas about the second coming of Jesus. Now there are some Christians who just nod their heads in the direction of the second coming and say, oh yes, that's going to happen. But there are other Christians who become almost obsessed about the second coming and they can be a bit unbalanced about it. Now I quickly fling back into school teacher mode and I'm going to do it now. So there are three things, students, that we have already been informed about. Mark 13 is a thoroughly Jewish chapter. It is apocalyptic literature. And Mark 13, ultimately, is about the second coming of Jesus. But lying in the background of Mark chapter 13 is the Jewish idea of the day of the Lord. Now, the Jews never, ever doubted that they were God's chosen people. The whole of the Old Testament informed them about God's covenant that made them God's chosen people. And the Jews never doubted that one day a time would come when they would occupy the place in the world that they deserved as God's chosen people. But they knew that they would never get to that place by human means 
They didn't have an army strong enough. Their political leaders weren't strong enough. It did seem rather difficult. But they believed that in the end, God would intervene in history and God would win the place for them. The day when God would intervene for the Jews is called the day of the Lord. Before that day arrived, there would be terrible terror and trouble. And the day of the Lord itself would be a shattering time when the world would be shaken to its foundations, the Jews believed. And God's judgment would come, the Jews believed. I'm about to cough. (coughs) There we go. But those troubles would be followed by a new world and the new age and the new glory for the Jews. This was wonderful optimism. The Jews were absolutely certain that God would break in. But it was also very bleak pessimism because the belief in the day of the Lord was based on the idea that the world was completely bad and only the world's complete destruction would be good enough for the emergence of God's new order. The Jews did not look for the reformation of the world. They looked for its complete remoulding and a complete recreating of the entire scheme of things. Now, in the Old Testament, there were various references to this sort of thing. The prophet Amos wrote, Wailing will be in all the broadways, and in all the vineyards there will be wailing. For I, the Lord, will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. And uh, if you ever read Joel, he's a right proper misery guts about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is darkness. I will show wonders in the heaven and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And so Joel goes on and on. And if you're in a depressed mood, don't read Joel. And so all through Mark chapter 13, Jesus was speaking the language, using the imagery and showing the apparatus of apocalyptic literature, trying to help his Jewish readers to understand. And Jesus was working with the only idea that the Jewish people knew. But he knew and they knew that these things were only pictures, only images, because nobody knew what God would do when God broke in. Now, these images were not meant to be taken literally. They are meant as impressionistic pictures as seer's visions designed to impress upon the people the greatness of the event when it would eventually happen. So we saw those three things earlier. Mark 13 is very Jewish. It's apocalyptic literature. It's about the second coming of Jesus. And now we've got these extra three things. The Jewish idea of the day of the Lord a day pictures as a day of darkness and disaster and the images are not to be taken literally. But now there's another revolutionary thought. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus is not giving us a timetable of future events that will precede the second coming. And Jesus is not giving us a map of eternity Jesus here is simply using the language and the pictures that most Jewish people knew 
and that the prophets had used for centuries before. Now, I know that there are some Christians who hear on the news about earthquakes or volcanic eruptions or solar or lunar eclipses or about an outbreak of violence on the border of a couple of countries and immediately they believe that Jesus' second coming is upon us. These kinds of Christians regard natural disasters as God's timetable. But Mark 13 is not a scientific statement. And Mark 13 is not meteorological analysis. And Mark 13 is not commentary on political or military happenings. It's a Jewish presentation of a Jewish hope that Jewish ascendancy will be achieved. And with all that in mind, Jesus is speaking about the second coming in very, very Jewish terms. We can best make sense of what Mark 13 is all about for us in the words that we use Sunday by Sunday in the Nicene Creed. He will come again in glory, we say. And that's what Mark 13 is all about. Or in the Apostles' Creed, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, from there he will come. It's an article of faith that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be a certain event of future history. For many of us, we will meet Jesus at the time of our physical death. But for others yet probably unborn, the second coming of Christ will be a future cosmic event of history, wrapping up this earth as we know it. The important thing in Jesus' teaching is not trying to work out the timetable of events, is not trying to predict a date for the second coming. The important thing is that we are ready to meet him. Jesus' parable of the talents has this teaching. Be ready to meet him by being faithful now in what we do with the gifts that God has given us. Jesus' parable of the wedding feast also has this this teaching. Be ready to meet the heavenly bridegroom when he comes. Jesus' parable of the prepared householder has this teaching. Be prepared. We don't know when the person will come and try to break in. Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids has this teaching. Be ready to meet him when he comes. There is no timetable revealed in astronomy or cosmology or meteorology in Mark 13. Our task as Christians is to worship and live and work for the kingdom of God now and to be ready when he comes and calls us to our heavenly home, whenever that may be. Amen.